Tappers, what's up? It is the Monday edition of the Daily Tap for March 8th. Hope you guys had a good weekend. Hope you guys are able to enjoy the great weather early this week. Uh, it's going to get warm. Looking forward to it. It's always a little bit of a tease, but we got a good show today. Uh, we're going to talk about Wisconsin versus the refs. We're going to talk about if it's justified. We're going to talk about why they can't blame everything on the refs, but they do have a legitimate gripe, it seems, with Bo Borowski. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Um, that was obviously a huge thing. On Sunday, um, watched a lot of that. Was painful um, down the stretch. So we'll go we'll go deep on that. We'll do a little Marquette, but not much because I wrote about him. And then we'll talk about Giannis winning the MVP for the All Star Game. We will also talk about uh, the Packers and trades. Uh, Preston Smith got mentioned in a column this morning from Albert Breer. And then lastly, we will talk golf as we have on Monday. We need a we need a name for the golf segment. We're Tapper. The tapping, maybe? I don't hate that, right? The tapping. Um, We'll talk about Bryson DeChambeau and why I don't know if golf needs Tiger Woods. And that's, I know, a little spicy. Um, So we'll go into all of those. I'm looking forward to it. But let's start with the Wisconsin Badgers. So Wisconsin Badgers played the Iowa Hawkeyes. It was a game that Wisconsin probably needed to win, right? They've been really struggling down the stretch. It has not been pretty for the Badgers, they've lost a lot of games. Um, now they've played a really tough schedule, so that's part of it, right? But they've been really bad against Ken Palm top twenty-five teams. They are one and eight this season, and that includes a loss to Iowa yesterday, which was seventy-seven to seventy-three. But the game was ridiculous in its own right because Wisconsin down the stretch it took twenty-five real-time minutes. To finish 30 seconds of a basketball game. The amount of reviews, the amount of garbage that went on with the officials was ridiculous. It Don Donnie Marshall, who was the color commentator for Fox, had to do everything but say, like, these guys are fucking up the game. It felt very much like the Shaq famous YouTube clip where they're like, hey Shaq, how'd it go? David Stern wants to fuck up this game with these these referees. I said it completely wrong. I completely butchered that. I apologize. But look it up. So Shaq criticizes the officials right on air. And they're like, Shaq, we're on air. And he goes, I don't give a shit. And Boborowski is a swear word amongst Badger fans right now. He is a guy that everybody's looking at and saying he is part of the problem. He's one of the reasons why Wisconsin is losing basketball games. And Greg Gard, you know, said, look, the hook and hold is the Brad Davidson rule. And I want to get to the Brad Davidson stuff later because I so but well, let's just stick on the ref part here. Is it justified a little bit? Now, there are some interesting stats that Jason Wilde actually did a great job. Who's not a who's a Badger alum, I think, but he's not a uh, Badger reporter. Wisconsin with Bo Borowski as the official is two and eight this season. Without Bo Borowski, they are fourteen and three. Now, Jim Polzine points out this: they are two and eight and zero and seven in the Big Ten. But he was the crew in losses to Michigan twice, Illinois twice, Ohio State, and Iowa. So these are all like major games. Like these are all those Ken Palm top 25 teams. Like that is the gauntlet of the Big Ten. 
And for some reason, the Big Ten considers Bo Borowski one of their main officials. He is one of the top guys among the Big Ten. Now, we can all hate it. We can all not like it, uh, you know, but the fact of the matter is, is that Bo is the guy for the Big Ten because he's getting the big games. I mean, these are all big games for the Big Ten. So because they're big games for the Big Ten, Borowski's being featured, and that's just how it goes, and it sucks. It sucks for Badger fans, but that's that's kind of how it is, and it pointed out too that Borowski also has the free throws without him. They've out-attempted their opponents 287 to 231. With him, the opponents have led 197 to 136. Now, again, that's that's from Ryan Topp. Uh, now, again, that is a little fraudulent because you look at the games that Wisconsin has lost to. Of course, those teams will shoot more free throws. And one of Wisconsin's biggest bugaboos when they're struggling is they don't get to the free throw line. That's a known struggle. So it's not surprising that Wisconsin isn't shooting free throws when they're being refed by Borowski because those games have lost. And if you look at those games, if you look at those six losses that Bolzine points out, Iowa's the only one that you can really say like, hey, it was probably his fault that Wisconsin lost this game. And and I think it's fair. Look, blaming officials is fucking lame, all right? But sometimes you just have to do it. Sometimes it just makes sense. I know that Marquette fans understand this too. We hated Jim Burr. We thought Jim Burr was one of the worst officials that had walked the face of this earth. Jim Burr was our Boborowski. We fucking despise Jim Burr. And I'm sure if you look back at my tweets on Jim Burr, I'm sure I blamed him for a loss. I'm, I'm, I'm like positive, especially because it was a younger me. I, I, could, I might knock it in here in a second just to see if I can find something. But I do want to just reiterate that Borowski did not cause them to lose to Illinois twice to Michigan twice, to Ohio State or Iowa. Michigan, they were they had that game and then, you know, Davidson got himself involved in a situation where yeah, it was a pretty clear elbow and it fired up Michigan and they went on a fucking run and they beat Wisconsin. They beat their ass in the second game. As for Illinois, that game was a blowout in Champaign and then in Madison the box score looks close, but let's be real. Like Illinois was in control of that game for most of it. So in Ohio State, same thing, right? Like Ohio State had a good lead on the Badgers throughout that that matchup. So it, it's one of those things where I can't necessarily say Borowski is the reason that Wisconsin is where they are. They are a, they're a good team. They're not a great team. I've said this all year. I've said they're good, not great. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with the Badgers because of what Borowski, and it's not Borowski-led. Borowski has nothing to do with that. That is not because of Borowski. That is because they're just a good, not great team. So not everything is the ref's fault. But I do understand where Badger fans are coming from, especially with this game particularly, because I do think this is part, he has part of the reason they lost to Iowa. Now for Brad Davidson. So Greg Gard came out in defense of Brad Davidson. He called, said the hook and hold is the Brad Davidson rule. And I'm sorry. I, look, Brad Davidson has made his bed. 
Brad Davidson punched a guy in the nuts. Brad Davidson has done dirty shit throughout his time at Wisconsin. Grayson Allen was the same way. Grayson Allen did enough dirty shit where there was a target on his back. And there is a target on Brad Davidson's back. And Brad Davidson has run out of good faith with the Big Ten officials. They know that he plays a little bit tight. He makes things that are a little bit more, you know, look a little more conspicuous. I mean, remember, he gets a hard screen from Luca Garza in this game, and he kind of pushes Garza back, which nothing wrong with that. That's basketball. But again, Davidson's going to be spotlit, and there's going to be a, a view on Davidson that is different than every player in the Big Ten because Davidson has done some dirty shit throughout his time at Wisconsin. And you're, you can cry that that's unfair, but look, that's Brad Davidson's fucking fault. I'm not going to feel bad for Brad Davidson because Brad Davidson has made this bed. Now he has to fucking sleep in it. And you can you can say, well, that, it's not how it should be. I, I Look, Brad Davidson shouldn't have been punching guys nuts. He shouldn't have been in, you know, stepping on dudes. Like Brad Davidson has had all the ability to not do the little shit that he does throughout the game, but he can't fucking help himself. And, and look, that's just the player he is. Okay, that's fine. But I'm not pouring out any liquor. I'm not pouring out any tears for Brad Davidson. I'm just not. I can't. That's that, I, I don't know how anyone can. And I don't know how anyone can look themselves in the face and say, all right, we're going to... We're going to kind of think about Davidson, you know, in that sort of martyr role. Fuck that. The guy hasn't done anything that makes you think he should be a martyr. I'm not going to feel bad for Brad Davidson. And look, and, and if you're a Wisconsin fan right now, this is the only more reason why you don't want Brad Davidson back next year. Because all he's doing is he, he has created more problems for Wisconsin this year, I think, than he's helped them. And he's been bad this year. And I think some of these antics have, you know, led to maybe the officials kind of out for Wisconsin, especially Borowski. So, I'm, I don't know. I think, like as I said, Borowski was part of the problem here in Iowa. But I also think Brad Davidson's history led, led us to this point. And so now Wisconsin will get ready for the Big Ten tournament. And we'll talk more about the Big Ten tournament as the week goes on. They will play Wednesday night against uh, Nebraska or Penn State. Probably Penn State. Um, Penn State's been playing well. They had a nice win against Maryland. Penn State kind of trying to play themselves maybe into to the NCAA tournament conversation. They would need a win against Wisconsin and then probably a win against Iowa to make that thing real. We've seen crazier things happen. But Wisconsin definitely needs to win. I don't think they're going to get off the bubble, but Wisconsin could be a double-digit seed if they do lose to Penn State. Um, their, their resume is not that pretty. So they do need that Penn State win, and if they can beat Iowa and kind of get their revenge um, in the quarterfinals, then, yeah, they're in a really good spot, and they might move themselves to, like, seven or six, and then you play Illinois, and maybe you get a good shot there, but Wisconsin has been really good in the conference tournaments. That has sort of been a place that they have thrived throughout Greg Gard, throughout Bo Ryan. It's just been a good spot for Wisconsin. 
Why? I, I think it's just their style of play. I think it wears you down. I think the you know the fatigue factor and the fact that they're just moving the ball and they're draining the shot clock, I think it's really tough on just sort of the everyday having to deal with it. So I... I, I don't necessarily like Wisconsin's chances just given the fact that they've lost six of their last eight games. But I do I wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin finds themselves in the semifinals on Saturday afternoon. As for Marquette, just really quickly, because I wrote about Marquette. So I try, I'm trying to do this where I'm not writing and podcasting about similar topics. I'm trying to kind of stay away from that. But I will say... With Marquette, it was nice for the seniors to get a win on Senior Day on National Marquette Day. Having some fans in front of the crowd, in front of them, was great as well. And they beat Xavier, and they were in control for most of it. And now you get an opportunity to maybe make something happen in the Big East tournament, like kind of just which we mentioned with Penn State. I think it would take a lot for Marquette to get into the NCAA tournament without winning it. Right? Obviously, the automatic bid is there. But I think Marquette would have to, at the very least, obviously beat Georgetown, then beat Villanova, who is a totally different team than what we've seen this season and who Marquette has faced earlier in the year. Marquette lost by you know 20 and 30 points the first two games, but they had Colin Gillespie, they had Justin Moore. I don't think Justin Moore is playing next week with that ankle injury. He did not come back after... Uh, he left the Providence game in the first quarter, so first half. So we'll see if Justin Moore is back. And, and then you would either have Seton Hall or St. John's, who both are on the bubble. Seton Hall is more off the bubble than on it, with St. John's, I think, hovering closer to a tournament spot. So then you have that matchup, and then whoever you play in the final. And that could be a crapshoot of teams. I would say it's probably UConn. I would say UConn right now is the favorite of of anyone because they have the least amount of problems. And it's just UConn in the Big East tournament. We know how that goes, right? That that has been a lock of locks. Like we talk about how Wisconsin's been good in Big Ten tournaments. Look at UConn in the Big East and back at Madison Square Garden. And so there'll be a lot of nostalgia in the air uh, for that. And I think... With Villanova's injuries, with Creighton's off-the-court issues, I think you have to make UConn the favorite uh, heading into this Big East tournament. Moving on to the NBA. So we have the NBA All-Star Game. Giannis Antetokounmpo was the star of the game, and not surprisingly, he won MVP because of it. He was th- he had 35 points in 19 minutes. He scored all 16 baskets that he shot. He also made three threes. Giannis was on fire. And I know it's easy to shoot in in an all-star game. I know an all-star game, it's not like you are being contested like you are on a regular NBA night or a playoff game. But still, to see what Giannis did was awesome. And to just see how much he gives a shit, right, on a day-to-day basis is so incredible. And to watch how happy he was after the game and talk about how he fun over fear and how he's having fun this season. And it's weird to hear him say that a little bit because I felt like at the beginning of the year, Giannis didn't really look like he was having fun. Remember, Mitch and I had a whole thing about like what's wrong with Giannis and we were like, is he missing the fans? Is he really just not enjoying this sort of COVID experience? And is that part of the problem with him? Because remember, he got off to kind of a slow start. And now the last few sort of weeks, he's been unlocked. He's been putting up some incredible 
statistics that I feel like have vaulted him into the MVP conversation, whether people like it or not. And I've, you know, all already said it doesn't matter if he's the MVP. It's just matters if he's playing at an MVP level because that's going to make the Bucks a East contender, if not the East contender. Now, obviously, Brooklyn will be the contender. We'll get to. Play. I want to do a little Blake Griffin after this, but we'll talk firstly about Giannis and like Giannis is that dude, right? Like Giannis has sort of hit this other level. And I, I wondered if he had taken a next step, and it just feels like he has. It feels like Giannis is so aware of who he is and what he can and sort of can't do and what he needs to work on. Like Giannis saying, I banked in those threes because that's something I'm trying in practice. Like, okay. So he realizes that he has too long of a shot and that he should be aiming for the glass. I don't hate it. Like, people make fun of banked in threes all the time. Like, they call them lucky shots. But look, if Giannis feels like there is a way that his shot works with a banked in three, whether it's a coaching thing or something he's learned in practice, fine. And and him saying, I tried it out in this game because it doesn't matter, that's awesome. That is so good to hear. And the whole idea of Giannis having fun is going to bleed into his teammates. Giannis is the leader of that team. You talk to anyone who kind of knows a little bit about the Bucs, and he is the guy. He is the guy that they sort of look at. And from what you what I've known or what I've learned is that like they were really serious the last few years. Like they were very like businessman approach to basketball. There was not a lot of fun in that locker room that Giannis kind of kept them in line, that no one really could sort of have this sort of fun feeling about basketball. And, I, and this is not a criticism of Giannis. Let's, let's also like point that out. It's not, but it's just how his personality was. And so now, whether it's because he's had a kid, whether it's because he realized that that didn't work and talked to other guys, who knows? And now he's like, all right, let's have some fun here. Let's be serious, but let's also like embrace that it's not the end of the world if we lose five games straight. Remember that. Giannis, at the, after five games, was like, I bet everybody's freaking out right now. And Giannis was like, nah, I'm not. I, I'm not panicked. This doesn't matter. And and then they went on and they win five straight. And they closed the season winning six of their last seven. And so it seems like the Bucks are more inner peace and more like within themselves than they were the last couple of years. And it all starts with Giannis Antetokounmpo. And that to me is really important. And we keep talking about how different things this season are a prelude to the playoffs. And that everything that sort of it happens, we say, well, is that good or bad for the postseason? Because it matters so much to the NBA fan. And we talked about the double standard with the NBA and the NFL last week on Tabbing the Keg, which I recommend go and listen to if you haven't. Or that was is it two weeks ago? That was two weeks ago, sorry. It's two weeks ago because we, we did J.J. Watt last week. So go back and listen to that because it, it does, it's so bizarre how much we weigh the postseason for the NBA. But I do think that like there are so many things in the positive for the Bucks for the postseason. I don't know how many negatives we've seen thus far besides what we already know about Milwaukee. And this is just another proof. This is more proof that like Giannis is in a better headspace. He was so fucking happy. 
to be playing this all-star game that he said he didn't really want to be there. And yet Giannis is like, all right, I can't just go through the motions. I'm on a basketball court. I'm going to deliver everybody a show because that's what they came here for. And Giannis did just that. So credit to him. I'm very happy that Giannis has an MVP, all-star game MVP to his name. That is, you know, it's it, it's not necessarily an easy award to win. And the greats have them. Jordan has three. Kobe has four. LeBron has three. Durant has two. So it's not one of those things where it's just kind of a fluff award. You know, I looked through it and I'm like, what's the last like unnotable guy to win the MVP in the All-Star game? Probably Glenn Rice in 1998 and Mitch Richmond the year before that. Though, or it was 90s, I forget. I looked it up and it, Glenn Rice and Mitch Richmond were the two names where I was like, all right, these are kind of guys who I don't think anyone has really thought about either. Or I think they are in the Basketball Hall of Fame, but... The Basketball Hall of Fame is a fucking joke. So, I mean, <laughs> you can't really look at it and say, well, they're, they're in the Basketball Hall of Fame, so they matter. It's like, nah, man. I mean, no one no one really matters when it comes to the Basketball Hall of Fame. But, yeah, I've, I don't have the wiki in front of me. But, yeah, they, they were the last two where I was like, ah, that's interesting. Giannis also first international guy to win the MVP, um, which I didn't know. And you would have assumed with all the different international talent with Dirk, with um, uh, Dirk was the name that I came. I was like, I Dirk, Steve Nash and others where you're like, Oh, there had to have been a, like a guy from another place in the United States. Who's won an MVP. No, it hasn't. So Giannis is the first one to do that as well. So, Good on Giannis. Nice little momentum carrying the Bucks into the second half of the season, which will begin on Thursday night. Mitch and I will be on the podcast Wednesday. We'll kind of talk through that, I'm sure, as well as a bunch of other things. Before we go to uh, the Green Bay Packers, we have the Blake Griffin story. So Blake Griffin signs with the Brooklyn Nets. Now he's a buyout guy. They plan to make Blake a small ball center. Um I don't really care that Blake Griffin's on the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think it really matters that much because Blake Griffin has been washed. And I I like Blake Griffin. I think Blake Griffin's an awesome dude. But Blake Griffin is just not the same Blake Griffin that he was years ago. It's just, I mean, let's just face facts here, okay? Let's just really have an honest conversation with ourselves. Blake Griffin is not the same player. I know people love, love buyout guys. They get fired up about buyout guys and been pointed out on a few podcasts like bio guys don't always result in championships they aren't the reason why someone wins a championship the only time where a bio guy can really be pointed at and say he had a direct impact on a team's championship success was probably pj brown in 2008 when the boston celtics got him pj brown also talk about a guy who was just kind of a motherfucker pj brown i would not want to fuck around with pj brown definitely a scary dude back in the day but pj brown um was a difference maker. I don't think Blake Griffin has that PJ Brown like impact for the Brooklyn Nets. Just that he just can't jump. Like there was that sad that Blake hasn't dunked in like two years. And the other thing too, if we put it in the guise of like how does that affect them against the Bucks? Look at Giannis's numbers against Blake Griffin. Giannis dominates Blake Griffin. I mean that has been a bad matchup for for the NBA throughout the the time of Giannis's ascent has been Giannis versus Blake Griffin. They've dominated Detroit mostly because Giannis takes Blake to the woodshed every time. 
So Giannis is going to smile when he sees Blake Griffin across from him when they play Brooklyn later this year because Giannis has been able to deal with Blake Griffin throughout his entire career. So that doesn't that doesn't affect me. That doesn't I don't look at that and say, "All right, Blake Griffin is the missing piece of the puzzle. They finally got their center that they need to help them with rebounding and help them with interior defense." Blake Griffin is not going to help him that much. So I don't I don't see it. And maybe maybe I'll be wrong, but I would be very surprised if I am. All right. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. So I kind of love sometimes refreshing Twitter right before I go on to tape. Sometimes it's bad because I'll be there on for 10 minutes and I'll get into a rabbit hole and then, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, fuck. Now I'm kind of running late. But this time it was Albert Breer's Monday morning quarterback had just come out and Albert Breer has said that Preston Smith might be in trade talks. And basically they could a teams who don't have that much money could get a guy like Preston Smith for two years, $16 million, and be able to sort of get a top pass rusher out of it. Now, a lot of people don't think it's likely that Smith is going to be traded because he's owed $3 million in bonus on the third league year. For those calendar counters at home, that is March 20th. So that's uh, next Saturday. So next Saturday, Preston Smith is owed more money. So the, there is deadline right now. Now, if you want to p- put some pieces together, if you want to kind of start looking at some things that maybe might make sense, Zach Ertz is apparently involved in trade talks per Michael Silver. Now, Zach Ertz had some interest from the Green Bay Packers in, you know, basically over the trade deadline period. That was a rumor that was out there that Packers had a little interest. I don't know contract well, I'd have to look it up. But would Zach Ertz for Preston Smith be a real trade that could possibly happen? I I mean, Zach Ertz to the Packers would be fucking crazy. Because I don't know if they would bring back Tanyan, what that might mean. Looking at Ertz's deal here uh, via spot track, which is always a plus. He has one year left on his deal at $8 million. So basically what you'd be cutting out of Preston Smith, this is very interesting. Then in 2000, 2022 and 2023 are dummy years, which are automatically void. So even though that this contract, this contract basically pays out after 2021, meaning that he is, even though it says he is, well, yeah, he's an unrestricted free agent after the 2022 season. So after this year, he is a free agent. So this is his last year of his deal. So could the Packers be up to something here? If we're connecting the dots, if we're kind of Charlie Kelly with Pepe Silvia, could there be a potential that they're looking at a deal that involves Preston Smith to Philadelphia for Zach Ertz and maybe something else? You know, maybe draft picks, I'm sure, right? Could that potentially be on the table? I'm now kind of getting myself excited, probably getting myself a little bit over my skis. And I'm sure Packers Twitter will figure this out too. Now, let's let's first talk about the Preston Smith part because the Zach Ertz thing, who knows, could be on very unrealistic. But let's, first of all, trading Preston Smith would make a lot of sense. Getting rid of Preston Smith, releasing Preston Smith would also make a lot of sense. I know what Brian Gutekus said but and said, I want, we think Preston Smith's going to come back. Look, you have to say these things. You're not going to just go, honestly, we think we're going to cut Preston Smith. 
And from everything you read from Peter Schrager, from Diana Rossini, from many people, they're saying it's going to be ugly. They're saying it's, there are so many cuts that are going to happen. And I, when I hear that, when I listen to that on podcasts or breakouts on Twitter, I, I have to think Preston Smith is part of that equation. I can't help myself but think Preston Smith is not going to return to the Green Bay Packers. And I know people are going to look and say, well, Brian Gunacoust is a liar. No, he's just doing his job. And also, too, if they're thinking about trading him, to kind of circle back to that, if they're thinking about trading him, they're not going to say, hey, we're going to release him because Team X, who's maybe interested in Preston Smith, is going to say, well, Brian, we're not going to do a deal with you. We're not going to give you a draft pick if you're planning on releasing him. So you can go back to Gunacoust's comments and wonder if he was he's being sly to kind of drive up that market for Preston Smith. I don't know. And now if we go back to the Zach Ertz part, whether Preston Smith's involved or not, yeah, the Packers were very interested in Zach Ertz. And if they wonder if the Robert Tanyan tender might be too much, would they replace Ertz with Tanyan and say, all right, we're going to go forward? Or Galaxy Brain, would they go Tanyan and Ertz and just fuck shit up? Because adding Zach Ertz would be like adding a number two wide receiver. I hope you guys realize that. Like adding Zach Ertz would be, yeah, that would be some big deal shit. That would be a huge weapon for the Packers. And all of a sudden they would have an embarrassment of riches at the tight end position. I still think there would be spots for Josiah DeGuerra, who I think would take over sort of the big dog role. As much as we all love Mercedes Lewis, I think that's what DeGuerra would do. And then I think Jay Sternberger, there would be some real questions on if Jay Sternberger had a spot on the Packers going forward. I think he'd be on the hot seat. And I think Sternberger, unfortunately, has had some real issues with concussions. And I don't know. I don't know what that means for his future. So I'm not going to get myself too excited about Zach Ertz, but there are some dots that can be connected there. And I, I don't hate it. And I, I, I really don't. And I, I do think it makes sense for Preston Smith to go. The question is, is can the Packers trade him? And if the Packers can trade him, great. If they can't and they have to release him, then they release him. And I think that's probably what Brian Grunekus' strategy is going to be. I will be shocked if Preston Smith is a Packer on March the 21st. Quickly, let's uh, end the show with the tapping. As I told you guys, I'm trying to talk more golf because I feel like golf is... As interesting as it's been in my lifetime. I feel like every week I am glued to my seat with golf. Now, if you guys don't like golf, you can obviously turn this part of the podcast off. I won't be mad at you. Trust me. I will not. But for golf this week, you had the Arnold Palmer Invitational. The Arnold Palmer Invitational is obviously one of the... I wouldn't say it's as premier as some of the other events because of where it's sandwiched in. Unfortunately, it's kind of in a bad spot in the tour schedule at this point because you have it a World Golf Championship and you have the players and it's the sandwich between. Now, that's still like having a good bread and a quality meat in the middle, right? It's not like the Arnold Palmer is a, a tournament to just ignore. But I do agree with the golf pundits that say it needs another spot in the calendar to kind of blow it up because I think more players would play it just given the respect 
that the golf world has for Arnold Palmer if it was at a different point in the schedule. So you have Bryson DeChambeau win it. And Bryson DeChambeau had two amazing drives on Saturday and Sunday on the sixth hole where he drove the water on both of them. The one on Saturday was 377 yards. The one on Sunday was 370. It's incredible to watch. Now, I think Bryson's a loser. I don't really like Bryson DeChambeau. I just think he he's sort of just a, a wacky guy. And I, I don't really like his sort of style. That said, he's fucking awesome for golf. Having Bryson win twice now already, being the first multi-winner on the tour this year is great for golf moving forward. It's great for the players next week, and it's really good for the Masters in about a month. We are a month away from Augusta, and to have Bryson playing at a top potential is really good. Now, if you don't have Brooks Kepka, that's kind of a bummer, right? He had to withdraw from the players because of a neck injury. That sucks. That sucks that we won't have Brooks Kepka involved in the players next week, as you'll have most every big-name golfer playing that tournament. And there was some talk on a podcast that Bill Simmons had where can golf survive without Tiger Woods? And Nathan Hubbard, who's on the Ringers Golf Show, said no. And I, you know what? I disagree. Like I, I, And we'll have to see about the ratings. But I feel like there are so many good storylines right now in golf that you can survive without Tiger Woods. And I realize the ratings are going to matter. And there never will be another Tiger, right? But Bryson DeChambeau has enough fascination that if he's involved in the final round on Sunday at Augusta, people are going to tune in. Because look, there are people that absolutely despise Bryson and think he's a nerd and think he's a fucking lame ass. And there are people who really like him. He's a divisive feature and he's good for golf. Just like Patrick Reed and all his antics are good for golf. Now you have the Jordan Spieth angle. Can Jordan Spieth complete the comeback? And he's been knocking on the door, and yet he just can't figure it out on Sundays. He was involved again this week, and he finishes with another top five. Jordan Spieth's made himself a lot of money and kind of has reclaimed what he lost the last few years. And Spieth will get one. I don't know if it'll be a big tournament, if it'll be a small tournament, but Spieth will get one somewhere in the tour schedule this year. Trust that. So I I just, you know, it, it, golf's really in a good spot. And even a guy like John Rahm, who hasn't really done much this year, he's a huge name. Rory McIlroy winning at Augusta is would be a huge feat because it would complete a career grand, grand, grand slam and all the things that Rory has dealt with in Augusta and all the struggles there. So golf just has a lot of notable dudes. Colin Morikawa, who we mentioned last week, and I said he's probably the best young golfer they have. If it's Morikawa and DeChambeau down the stretch at Augusta or the players this weekend, everybody's tuning into that. And so... Because of Tiger Woods, golf is in a better spot with their players. Because all of these guys looked up to Tiger Woods. All of these guys wanted to be Tiger Woods as a kid. And so because they wanted to be Tiger Woods as a kid, this has suddenly got golf an embarrassment of riches, riches 
of so many good young golfers. And so every week we have a storyline. This week it's Bryson and what he did, you know, in terms of his drives and his ability to conquer a course that's not necessarily built for big hitters. Like the Arnold, like the Bay Hill is not a big hitter course. That is not what it's known for. It's known for kind of its, you know, you need to be good with your approach game. And yet Bryson figured it out despite being in the bunker very often in this tournament. He still figured it out. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. And so I'm not like a Bryson fan. I think he's a fucking loser. But I do like, I'm impressed with what he did this weekend. I can't look at it and say, well, he didn't crumble because that tournament, man, could have easily went sideways. It was in the conditions on Sunday were awful. No, I think there were barely anyone that was under par for the whole tournament on Sunday. There were some major ass scores. Yet Bryson had the resiliency to win this this event. So good for him and good for golf. And we'll see what happens with the players this weekend. Um, the players. Didn't happen last year because it was when COVID hit. So it would be cool to see uh, the Green Monster yet again. Or Blue, it's the Green Monster, yeah. The Green Monster yet again. I don't really necessarily haven't looked too deep into a favorite, who I like, who I don't like. Um, It's a big tournament. It gets overblown by the PGA Tour and NBC. Um, It's not as exciting, I think, as they make it up to be. But it's still a meaningful tournament on the tour schedule. So we'll see what happens with the players this weekend. All right, that does it for our show. This week, we will have Daily Tap for Tuesday and Wednesday, so I'll be back tomorrow. And then Friday or Thursday, we will do Tapping the Keg. Friday, another Daily Tap. And then it's tournament time, and we have some special draft stuff coming up too. So look forward to that. I'm really excited for what Murph and I are putting together here, and it'll debut starting next week. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself an awesome Monday, and we'll be back tomorrow. All right, bye.